It's time for Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. She'll remember your heart when men are fairy tales and books written by rabbits. I'm one of the guys, Micah. I'm the other rabbit, Micah. No, wait, I'm Matt <laughs> That was weird. Retake. <laughs> nah, Okay. I'll just, you know, apparently screwing up these intros is my thing now. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see if I get this right. What is this show? Uh, this is where we give each other cartoons to watch and then come back and recap them and discuss them. And we're going to do some shorts. Well, theoretically. I had a theme where I gave Micah a Chili Willy cartoon and a Bugs Bunny cartoon called Eight Ball Bunny. And Micah, I guess it counts as a short, although it's really more of a half-sode oh. of a TV show. Okay. Uh, Spider-Man. Mm. Um. And something from Ivan Maximoff, who is the director who, if you remember, he did that. Well, we'll talk about it later. It's it's a cartoon from a Russian guy. Anyway, uh, let's talk about whatever we want. Um, what you got for me this time, Mike? Uh, All right. I took a very short break from She-Ra. Okay. Because I ended on a good note, right? I was satisfied. Scorpia left and good things were in the mm. future. Yeah. <laughs> when I came back, it turned out not to be the case. So, the episode I came back to was one where the Rebellion is trying to flush out the spy in their ranks. Uh-huh. It's the Mer Mysteries. So, Mermista... Oh, right! Yes, Mermista oh, and my... Perfuma are trying to... They're, they're interviewing everybody to figure out who might be a traitor. Yeah. Is she wearing a hat? No. No, no, no. But they're, they're doing film okay. noir sticks, you know. Um, yeah, I, I saw a tweet recently where it was like a series of, it was like characters that aren't confirmed to be LGBTQ, but we all think they are. And there was one character that really looked like it was from Shira, but I couldn't place it. Huh. And now I'm thinking that might be Mermista. Oh, well, I don't know. Anyway, I think most of them are unconfirmed anything, but yeah. it was funny. Well, whatever. It's not important. <laughs> I was looking at a list of character names before the show, and uh, the wiki that I was looking at had categories, including uh, bisexual characters. And Anyway. Um, All of them. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. <clears throat> Seems like an okay idea for a plot and a culmination of Double Trouble, uh, her involvement, or, his, or their involvement, rather, in the uh, this season. Yep. But it was so goofy. They should have played it a little serious. Um, I'd mentioned before that that I much prefer the Horde characters to the good right. guys. And yeah. this is almost all good guys. All insufferable good guys. <laughs> they have episodes like this in My Little Pony, where the idea is that nobody is a reliable narrator because they all put their weird spin on what happened. Mm-hmm. But... They uh, have a better sense of um, a better sense of having like gravity or meaning to the situation. Whereas this is all just totally spies nonsense. People shrieking <laughs> and acting like idiots. Um, oh, it was terrible. Just hated this episode. And the funny thing is, is at the outset, I thought this would be interesting because um, we kind of figured before that the good guys don't get much focus. And in this season... Mm -hmm. They've so far given Perfuma an episode where she gets to grow. 
And so I thought this would be Mermista's turn, but it's just a silly episode. And they bring in every background character from previous episodes, too. So it's sort of like just a general kind of fun cavalcade. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was terrible. And what a relief by the end to see Hordak and Catra lay waste to Mermista's kingdom. <laughs> what a relief to see these guys. Oh, and Hordak, he had his cannon arm. So cool. Oh, good. Yeah, and it was like a Megatron-level cannon arm where he was, like, you know, just raising a wall of it. Um, uh, oh, also another thing about this season in general, but this episode, too, is that the uh, strife between uh, Glimmer and Adora doesn't seem that good. Like, mm. they talk too much. So there was a point in, in some of these episodes that I'd watched where – it was impactful where where one of them uh, said something she shouldn't have. But apart from that, it just seems to like go in a cycle where we really need some breath, you know, like maybe it should be kind of a cold war that escalates into arguments that are memorable. Mm. Anyway, um, so, yeah, it's a bit of a bummer of an episode. And then um, the one that followed, the title of it is Boys Night Out, which <laughs> immediately was a warning bell. Right. Because, as you know, I hate Bo. Um, and I right. I haven't talked about Seahawk. Whoa. They don't call this kitten Doofy for nothing. Um, <laughs> oh, he's, he's pushing around the bowl now. Well, that's what the noise is in the background. Anyway, um, so I mentioned Seahawk, uh, or I haven't talked about him much. And... He's basically just as bad as Bo, <laughs> if, not, <laughs> if not maybe a little worse, because sometimes I like Bo, rare instances, and I never like Seahawk. He's a little tiresome. Oh, nothing, no ingredient in that recipe is good. His design, <laughs> terrible. His, his, every, well, his, uh, hu I have to stop this cat. This is ridiculous. Hold on a sec. All right. All right. Doofy's in uh, in the kennel with Raven. Okay. All right. Um, so Seahawk. Yeah. Bad design. His jokes stink. His character stinks. And I'm a little hesitant, hesitant to say the voice is terrible. So mm -hmm. I'll just say it's miscast. All right. I, I really dislike him overall. So it's those. Okay. So. So those are the two male characters. But then you think, wait a minute. Swiftwind is male as well. The. The. Uh, the uh, st uh, Shira's unicorn steed, right? Right. But I don't really like him either. He's <laughs> he's quite a lot like Seahawk. Yeah. And you know he's annoying because I had give a lot of leeway to the talking horse characters. So, um, yeah, yeah. So my only hope was that please let this be like a story about Rogelio and Kyle, you know, or, <laughs> or, or Bo's dads or anybody else. No, no, no. It was, it was uh, Bo and, and uh, Seahawk and Swiftwind. And hmm. yeah, they were terrible and they had a terrible song. And, um, but it does come back a little bit by the end in that there's, there's, there's a big fight at the end. Uh, for one, Octavia is there. So cool. Yeah. I like seeing the monster bad guys. I, yep. I wish she showed more stuff. There was one point where she was, um, 
she was applying her staff against She-Ra's sword. So they were like at a standoff. And that was kind of cool, yeah. but I would have liked to seen her have some extra limbs do stuff or maybe, you know, spout some ink or bubbles or something. Yeah. Um, but good to see her anyway. Uh, and in that fight, Mermista was doing her water bending stuff where she was like flinging troopers with waves of water and she was twirling her trident and stuff. Pretty neat. Um, yeah. So there, there was a little bit of redemption for this episode. Plus, plus, um, Luki, I didn't see Luki, but I think that Luki is in this episode. Really? Yes. I, I did a little research on this and Luki is not in every episode. So I think I dismissed the idea of keeping an eye out. But right. a, apparently in a handful of episodes, Luki is in them, typically in crowd yeah. scenes. So I think Luki is in the bar. Um, okay. I think Luki as, is at the princess prom. So from now on, I'm going to keep an eye out, especially if there's a crowd <laughs> to find Luki. Like, I think Luki is usually in a crowd, not like uh, tr as is tradition as part of a tree or something, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a Where's Waldo thing. Yeah, yeah. I think they should have put huh. it in every episode, but yeah. Yeah. Also, it's confirmation that Raz is not crazy, or at least not crazy about that. <laughs> uh, speaking of which... Raz was in the next episode having an episode herself where she kept flipping back and forth between the past and present. So right. in, in the past, she would confuse Mara by talking about Adora and the like. Um, yeah. I got to say, Mara's version of She-Ra looks pretty cool. Yeah. Much cooler than uh, Adora's, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's, that's where I am right now. Um... A bunch of episodes that could have been better, and hopefully it'll take a turn and show me some more Horde stuff, because these few were very Horde light. Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing when, like, the main characters of the show are like, go away, show me the <laughs> yes. secondary characters, they're the best. <laughs> yeah, very much. But it's just, like, it's just the way that the show was written, and, you know, what can you do about it? Oh, it turns I, out. I did learn, um, she's in that um, her mystery episode, uh, that... General that I've mentioned before, her name is General Juliet. Okay. The one with uh, the shaven side of her head and black lips, and she's an adult, or right. at least near adult, at the very least. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I could do with more serious characters like her. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so yeah, Shira continues. Um, also, I watched Wendell and Wild. Have you heard of I this thing? Don't, I, I'm not sure I even know. Like, it sounds really vaguely familiar, but I cannot place it. It's a stop motion Netflix movie from Jordan Peele and huh. Henry Selleck, the, uh, I think the director of Nightmare Before Christmas, um, <laughs> Monkey Bone, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but also the excellent Coraline. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I gotta say Coraline is the standout of his work. Anyway, this this Cor movie... Coraline's really good. Yeah. I've never been the biggest Nightmare Before Christmas fan. No, and it's Corpse okay. Bride. Oh, wait, I'm not sure if he did Corpse Bride, but he did James and the Giant no, Peach Cor as well. No, Corpse Bride is Tim... Uh, uh, Tim Horton. Tim Burton. 
You've always got time for Tim Burton's. Um, no, he, I don't. he didn't direct it though. I don't think. He just produced it, just like Nightmare. I think. I think. Oh, maybe I. I don't know. But I, yeah, I think. I, mean, he, I think he Johnny Depp and Hem, Helena Bonham Carter are in it, so it must be uh, Tim Burton. Well, anyway, yeah. So I, I'm for, I'm for certain he did Nightmare and James and the Giant Peach and Coraline. Okay. And this right. as well. So uh, part of the reason I, I, I kind of I noticed it, but I hadn't gotten around to watching it. And then I saw a lot of uh, uh, bemoaning that it didn't do so well on however Netflix rates their viewership um, and people bemoaning that it wasn't promoted. Nobody knew about mm. this, including you. Um, so uh, Wendell and Wild are characters in this movie. They are uh, voiced and made to be the likeness of um, Jordan Peele and Keegan-Michael Key. Okay. Uh, they're demons. They live on their giant father, like the Tick and Omnipotus. Um, <laughs> very much like them. They're, they're like, uh, they have a wagon that plants hair follicles and a cream that dispenses when they pull the cord to make it grow. Um, mm. So they like they tend to his scalp and they live in his nostrils. Anyway, so that's going on. But also the story is about a uh, a teenage girl. Boy, you want to link this back to Tim Burton? It starts just like Beetlejuice, where her parents get killed. They they run off a bridge and into the water at the beginning. Um, oh wow! Yeah. By so, the way, uh, I've I've just checked and uh, Corpse Bride is directed by Mike Johnson and Tim Burton. Oh, so he's got a credit in there. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, she's, um, oh, what is it? Hell maiden? I think, I, I, I think she unknowingly is a hell maiden or something, some title like that where she's got powers. Um, okay. and, uh, and anyway, she, she, she's, since her parents passed, she's been bouncing around, uh, foster care and has gotten in trouble but is part of a uh, like a redemption school program where she gets brought back to her hometown. There's so much going on. I'll be all over the place talking about this. She gets brought back to her hometown to attend a uh, Catholic girls school. Um, okay. The town has just like fallen apart in the meanwhile. Like her parents ran a brewery that kept this town in business. And now almost everything is shuttered there. And uh, a... <laughs> a a corporation that does uh for profit prisons wants to move in and open a big prison there um hmm. this movie is pretty <laughs> pretty disorganized so if it sounds like it it is um at the school one of her teachers also has these like witchy powers like she does okay and um there's an interaction with this like teddy bear that's a uh, bearsable it's like a link to the underworld okay. um and that kind of gives the the link that allows wendell and wild to contact her and convince her to summon them to the real world um all right now their motivation is they've been under their father's thumb this whole time and they want See, the father is this, he's like reclining in a bathtub and on his big belly is a theme park for the damned. A whole bunch of souls are going around on roller coasters and stuff. And they want to make their own theme park. So, hey. <laughs> so 
they bargain with her. Um, they agree to bring her parents back from the dead if, if she will do this for them, if she'll bring them there. But All right. they get conflicted when they meet um, the they meet the the evil corporation and agree to help them out. See, the corporation can't build their prison until the council votes their way. So they agree oh, to yeah. resurrect dead council members to sway the vote. <laughs> Does this sound really convoluted at this point? It sure is, right? Y- yeah, I've lost it. I've yeah. Well, anyway, key is there's there's a little girl. She's kind of got witchy powers. There's some demons, but the real bad guy is per- for profit prisons. Um, All right. It's got James Hong in it as the padre of the school. All right. Y- you know James Hong. Yeah, he, um, if I remember correctly, he's the guy who was a, had a bit part in The Hangover. Oh, no, 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 not that guy. Oh. Not that guy. Um, Oh, wait. Longtime Hollywood guy. Um, let me confirm he's in this movie, as I'm pretty sure that's him. Uh, Hong. Big Trouble Little China? I think so. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, you know, Green Eyed Girl. Yeah. Yeah. All right. He's sort of, um, I've complained before that there's a couple of Asian character actors that have defined our ideas of what Hollywood Asians are. Yeah. He, he's, he's got really, he's weird and foppish and he's always in everything where there's an ensemble Asian cast, but <laughs> he's sort of enjoying the uh, hong the the James Hong renaissance right now. So he's one of the characters in the movie that gets to look like himself. They totally made the character to look like James Hong. He, he dies early in the movie. But the uh, Wendell and Wilde use him as the test subject to see if they can bring, if they really can bring people back from the dead. Hmm. So he becomes like this strange sort of death becomes a movie corpse, you know, like his head is broke. His neck is broken. So his head is like down at his shoulders and they've, uh, they've made him up to cover the fact that he's a corpse. who has got garish makeup on. Um, yeah. Anyway, this movie um, well, I guess I can't sum it just yet. There, there, there's there's some things going on. Um, like a lot of animated movies these days, there's a real push for representation in it. Some yeah. some people might say wokeness. Um, hey. so like, uh, there's there's a lot of racial diversity. In fact, I think the white people, most of them are dead. They're like council members. There's two nuns. Yeah. Um, uh. And there is one trans character. And I think in that case, maybe they are a little too, not woke, but it's not important to the story. But there's a few beats where they're like, uh, where they really pointed out. Um, it's like token, like, and not, not token, like the character from South Park, but like, no, no, guess we've. Yeah, guess we've got to have a trans character in here for the sake of having a trans character in here. Sure, and there's like a phone conversation, kind of like, and and like, like, like every like every cartoon has a secondary character with two dads, right? Eh, coming from Shira here, uh, yeah. And his mother, like on the phone, once has to correct correct his father, like his, you know, and that happens like a few times in the thing. I guess it's not a big mm. deal, but the problem with this is. Is that the main character could have been pretty interesting, and this artist who becomes her friend, the 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 the, the trans character is an artist, becomes her friend is pretty interesting. We could have used more time with them, and setting up like there's payoffs to things that just feel like oh yeah that thing, and part of the reason 
is I think for one, Wendell and Wild, the characters are not good. Hmm. They just are a real drain on the experience and the and the result is me being kind of bored watching this. Yeah, okay. They should have had less is more, right? We're kind of like the genie isn't really in all that much of Aladdin. They should have been the same here. Yeah. And also they should have been better. I'm not really sold on Keegan Michael Key. Like I think he was good in his sketch comedy, but I don't know about stuff like this. Um Well, he's gonna be Toad in the Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh boy. Well, maybe less will be more there, hopefully. Um Yeah, yeah, yeah so. Uh, every, now, in terms of the quality of the production, it's great. The animation is great. The, the details are great. It just doesn't amount to much because I think they, uh, in storytelling, they focus on things that don't matter. One of the things that's really cool, uh, Angela Bassett, apparently not cool enough to be, have a character in her likeness, uh, is the nun that's got the powers too. Okay. And she seems really cool. Like, when she wants to fast travel... She just becomes like smoldering smoke that uh, transfers along the ground and then reforms into her. Mm-hmm. Like, man, I would have liked a way more of her and way more of the quote unquote main characters in this. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, overall, I would say that uh, there's a reason why there's not, not a lot of people are talking about this. It's not that great. Okay. Uh, I guess the only other thing I got uh, for, for this week is... <laughs> Uh, we saw each other a little while ago, and I mentioned that uh, uh, Raven's sister has had King of the Hill on continuously as her comfort food, so to speak. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so I got, as always, I've noted, like, wow, I've seen more King of the Hill than I thought I had. Um, yeah. And if you want an exercise in contrast, recently I've rewatched some of the season one episodes of Boondocks. These okay. shows are a major contrast. For one, King of the Hill is not very funny, in my opinion. Um, hmm. Like it has it has moments, but it's not consistent. It's got it's got like cup your chin. Oh, that's pretty clever. Sort of funny, occasionally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Boondocks at times is riotously funny. Yes. But I will say that the main the characters of King of the Hill, some of them endear you so as someone who wouldn't have chosen to put it on i can still enjoy things about it <laughs> as i uh, pass by you know or or even stop to watch a little bit um mm -hmm. whereas boondocks i think really runs out of energy after its first season like there's a little of these characters goes a long way and a lot of the jokes uh either repeat themselves or the new ones are not that great so yeah I mean, I've, I've said before, I really enjoyed the first three seasons of the Boondocks. Yeah. And then the fourth season, I bailed after like one or two episodes. Well, I mean, overall, I'd rather watch Boondocks than King of the Hill. But anyway, yeah. uh, one of the things about King of the Hill for me is that um, I've said before, it doesn't have bite, but also that it sort of doesn't have truth in it either. Like mm. it has some truths, but it's anodyne. It's presented in an anodyne way, right? Where they don't. You know, like these wacky Texans, but nothing that's going to be that offensive, right? There, there's yeah. one storyline where uh, the neighbor Khan threw out a couch. Yep. And so the alley guys, you know, Hank and, and Bill and et cetera, um, 
all got addicted to sitting on that couch. <laughs> and so they had taken to hiding the couch whenever trash day came. These <laughs> stories in King of the Hill are pretty good sometimes, and I'm making it sound <laughs> be better than it is. But but if these guys are real rednecks, that couch would have already been there. Come on. And in fact, <laughs> it, it might not have even been a couch. It might have been a seat from a vehicle, you know? Well, I think as captain of the block or block captain or whatever he is, I don't think Hank would have abided for garbage being in the alley for long term. Oh, yeah, maybe. Maybe we need to see that the rest of his neighbors are like that, though. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so they try to present, like I said, they try to present the perspectives of these uh George H.W. Bush voters in mm. a way that's kind of palatable in a sort of way like, hey, they're not so different from you anyway. But I did come to one episode that is aged so poorly. Um, it's one in which Bobby is presenting an idea to the school, uh, like a school activity committee to uh, put on a carnival. Okay. Uh, but a... Uh, I guess he's like a government representative uh, approaches the principal and uh, he he's about he's like an integration specialist. Okay. Uh, so he wants to make sure that this school that is 42 percent minority, that everybody is integrated properly. So he he uh, infects the committee for putting on this carnival and he perverts it to where all the kids are instead using it as a platform to talk about the transgressions of their racial backgrounds. Oh, boy. Yes. And they're, everybody's feeling bad about it. Although I think kind of cleverly, Joseph uh, is full of white guilt. <laughs> <laughs> He's the uh, uh, Dale's son, but really, uh, what's his name? Redcorn's son? John um, Redcorn. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so, you know, this is the way people think things are now in American schools, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Loonies, right? And and this guy, of course, he present like... People present it like, oh, I don't want my kid to feel bad about his heritage, right? And, right? and this guy specifically is like a caricature, you know, about how you should feel bad about it. Yes, yes, this is perfect, you know, that he's encouraging yeah. them. Um, anyway, as it turns out, they when the actual time comes and they put up this platform of, you know, that uh, this is what we did wrong. And the, the, the auditorium starts booing them. And then it's uh, that their parents come to the rescue by going out and inflating all the stuff and setting up the rides and, and, and games and whatever. And then mm -hmm. the kids get out there and they integrate naturally because this is a fun thing to do. And that makes a lot of sense and is good. Yet, mm -hmm. <laughs> yet, you know, it's kind of like in real life, in modern day, this is sort of the band-aid that needs to be ripped, you know? Yeah. Like if, if hard truths need to be learned and if not now, when, right? So, yeah, I found that an interesting episode to watch in today's context. It kind of touches on one of my problems with King of the Hill. Yeah. Um, which is, I in my experience with it, any time a new character is introduced in an episode, mm -hmm. that character is going to be the antagonist. Oh, they, yes, I remember. They never introduce a friendly character. Now, sometimes hmm. they end up... Like, there's one episode I'm thinking of where... Um, Hank, he can't fix the hot water heater or something. And so he's pressured into calling a repairman. Yeah. And the repairman happens to be black. 
and the dog Ladybird starts growling and barking at him. And oh, so yeah. this this guy goes on a crusade thinking that uh, the Hills dog is a racist. Oh, yeah. And I'm and, you know, because because Hank likes him like he invite he's like, oh, sorry about that. Please stay for a dinner. He's like, OK. And, you know, like they're all <laughs> having fun and friends and everything. But the dog hates him. And he's like and by the end. Hank realizes, no, no, it's not. It turns out it's not because you're black. She sensed that I was feeling threatened by your ability to fix things I couldn't. Oh, yes. And so he's like, he shows Ladybird. He's like, see, look, he's my friend. He's a good guy. And then they all make friends in the end. And it's all, you know, it's all good. Yeah. But again, the majority of that episode, the guy's an antagonist. Even though he turned, he's a good guy. He's he's the problem that the Hills are having. And you just mentioned it there. He's like, oh, let's have a carnival. All right. New character. He's right. an antagonist. Every time, like they cannot introduce a new character who's friendly in that show. It's always somebody who wants to do something bad. Well, I guess new characters upset the status quo if they, you know, if they stay around. Like, I guess, doesn't Luan have a fiance? This yep. guy, the snaggletooth guy, I guess he's kind of like. Yeah, voice, voiced by Tom Petty. Oh, yeah. I think I, his name is Lucky. Right. I saw an episode where he got hurt and he wouldn't go to the hospital. So they had to tackle him. But yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I guess. He might be an exception, but I don't know. He might have been a villain on his first. Well, the thing is, he's a recurring character. Well, sure. But that's it's, it's char- character. Yeah. But char- but I mean, anytime it's like this character is going to be just in this episode. Yeah. And they're going to be a problem. General. <laughs> I will counter. I, can... I will counter that with one exception. Uh-huh. Uh, any story about Peggy? She's the antagonist. Oh, gosh, she's the worst. <laughs> she's just rotten. And she's stupid, too. There was one where her stupid, like, Hank knows she's stupid. And she was in a court case where he. Yes, con- I know there's con- one. He convinced her to speak Spanish. It's d- a court d- case in Mexico because they yes. thought they had, she had kidnapped a Mexican girl. She, they, they made her defend herself in Spanish so that it would be apparent to everyone how she doesn't speak Spanish worth a darn. Right. He set her up knowing this and knowing that she wouldn't realize that the, that she would get off on the technicality of being incompetent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you see the, yeah. the one where Peggy realizes that Joseph isn't Dale's son? Yes, there too. She's like the least observant person in the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, except for Dale. I don't know. Maybe if you, if you stack them up, they might be neck and neck at least. Mm. Um, yeah, she's terrible. Uh, yeah. Also, that, that that whole thing about dogs being racist, apparently a real thing that they, they pick up on their owner's prejudices. Oh, okay. And, yeah, we have one in the neighborhood. Um, I don't know the dogs were racist, but Raven's indigenous, <laughs> right? So we, yeah. we were at the park one day and we noticed that there was in the distance on a uh, on a balcony, there was a husky that had been staring at us. <laughs> <laughs> It's my headcanon that this husky is looking out for her like, oh, I don't know about that one. And <laughs> and she's dialed nine one and is ready to dial one. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I guess uh, that's that's all my tremendous news block. Yeah. OK. Um, in lieu of news, I'm going to go to Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let me look around Twitter here. What do I see? Oh, here's Edian. Um Edian says, Edian, Edian says something to answer here or on the show. What is your favorite fictional place name? Here's my top five. 
Number one, The City. It's from The Tick. Number two, Manhattan, which is mm. from My Little Pony. Three, Radiator Springs. I don't know that I know that one. Hmm. Uh, four, Gravity Falls, from Gravity Falls. Mm-hmm. And five, Ohio, which is either the joke answer or I believe Eddie is Mexican. So, uh, good joke or sorry, Ohio is actually real. I've never been to Ohio, so I can't confirm it. Um, oh, Radiator Springs. I, I knew I knew it. I haven't seen the movie, but it's from Cars. Oh, okay. Uh, and just for the record, I do know people who live in Ohio. Ah. I've actually, my luggage was, has been to Ohio. Um, I just, I just remember that now I was on a flight from, uh, I think Chicago to Pittsburgh. Yeah. But there was another flight with the same airline with the same flight number to Columbus. Oh. And my luggage got put on that plane. So it got delivered to me the next day at my hotel, but my luggage has been to Columbus, Ohio. Right. Where there's a hockey team and presumably other sports teams. Not in Columbus. Oh, where is oh, it? Oh, wait, no, no, wait. There is a there is a soccer team in Columbus. Oh, okay. I they used to be the Columbus Crew, but I think they might have changed their name. Um, anyway, yes. Uh, this is a good this is a good topic, Eddian. Mm. Um, we got some. Let's let's uh, let's come up with some top five place names. Um, now should, should we said, alternate? You like you than me? Yeah, than yeah, me. yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, he said fictional, um, which I read as cartoon. So, yes, mine are mostly well, mine are from I, I have some um, at least one um, honorable mention that is not from a cartoon. But OK, uh, let's go. All right. I'll start. My number five in Bojack Horseman. Uh, it is set in Los Angeles, or at least that's where Bojack and his people, his friends live uh, specifically in Hollywood. Right. Because he's an actor. This all makes sense. But. Very early, like maybe even the first episode, there's an accident and the D on the big Hollywood sign is destroyed. And for the rest of the series, right up until the final episode, everybody calls it Hollywood. Like, like that sign is the official name of the place. And I think it, it's just and it's so sincere and earnest. It's not like a joke. It's like everyone yeah. just says Hollywood. Um, and it, cli- it, it, the climax in the series finale of that running gag is spectacular. Hmm. It, it ties in with another running gag and it's just perfect. Uh, okay. So that's my number five. Hollywood. Hmm. Okay. Uh, my number five is sort of a boring choice. You could argue. I'll go with Castle Grayskull. Okay. Um, there's a lot of like real life. There's a lot of stuff named like this. Like I'm close to a street called Blue Mountain. Mm. The irony, of course, is that Castle Grayskull is green. <laughs> but of course, it's named after a man, King Grayskull. So who could know yeah. that there's patina in there? Um, I just think it's cool and basic. And uh, um, now for the actual Castle Grayskull, I think the filmation one is best where mm. it looks like it was actually built around the skull of a giant beast. You know, it's got like a rib cage and everything leading up there. Yeah. I wonder why nobody approaches it from the body of the beast. They always go on the uh, the big archway. I assume there's a moat. I don't remember. I know there's a drawbridge or a jawbridge, as it's oh. called. 
worse worse than a moat there's like a bottomless pit <laughs> oh okay yeah i mean there is some muck too so if if he-man's feeling generous and usually he is he'll throw beast man and whomever into the muck rather than mm. to their doom by thirst <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right i think that's my number five castle grayskull uh, okay number four um steven universe it, it has a bunch of fictional state names, but here's the thing. Mm. Steven Universe has a bunch of gems who are an alien race from a place called Homeworld. Uh, and their deal is that they colonize other planets to grow gems in the ground. Mm. Well, one of the gems or one of the uh, types of gem is the pearl. And I thought, hey, wait a minute. Pearls don't grow in the ground. They grow in shellfish. Right. Well. There's an episode of Steven Universe Future called Volleyball, which shows us where pearls are made and repaired. Oh, it's yeah. a it's a space station, which I think might be shaped like a seashell, if I remember correctly. Oh. And it's and it's called the Reef. And I'm like, you know, it's it's not a great name on its own, but for the lore of the show, yeah. it's perfect. <laughs> Good one. The Reef. I was just thinking that I kind of wish that each diamond sucked their own pearl until it was fashioned and spat it out. Whoa, lewd. <laughs> no, well, anyway. <laughs> um, okay, I guess I'll uh, go to my number four. Um, okay, here's an oldie but a goodie. Frostbite Falls, Minnesota. Oh, I was trying to remember uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle. All I could remember was Minnesota. Yeah, it's pretty good, I think. I like that it's... Sort of negative, but not over the top, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, as for the actual setting, I can't say that it looks any different than anywhere else in Rocky <laughs> and Bullwinkle or in Dudley Do-Right, but... Yeah. But yeah, a pretty funny name. Yeah, yeah. Good one. Yeah. All right. Uh, for my number three, I took to the internet. And I took to HomestarRunner.com. Now... Okay. There are a few place names in Homestar Runner. They live in Free Country, USA. Mm -hmm. uh, Strong Bad has his own fictional country called Strong Badia. But uh, one of the biggest things about Strong Bad or about Homestar Runner is the Strong Bad emails. And mm -hmm. people will write in with their name. They'll be like, oh, you know, this is my question. Jim from Louisville, Kentucky or whatever, right? Murfreesboro. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there are two that the creators of the show made up. Okay. They weren't actual emails. One is a guy named Seb from the Lodge, Minnesota, which is uh, whatever. It's okay. That's nothing special. But the other one has always struck. It's it's always struck me as so funny. Mm -hmm. the, the guy's name is Jim T. <laughs> and his home is St. Pod. <laughs> yeah. I remember it. Not the email, Not but the name. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's from the, I think it's an April Fool's Day one. It's when they changed to Spemaliarized Entertainment, where it was kind of like emphasizing the uh, um, the rut that Strong Bad Emails was in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, St. Pod. What a great name. Yeah. Yeah, that's my number three. All right. I have Tolmikia, or possibly Torumikia, from Naushko the Valley of Wind. Oh. Now, Naushka itself as a name <laughs> could be many different ways. The Viz Comics chose to suggest Nausicaa, and then the Disney dub says Nausicaa. 
mm. which might be the worst in my opinion. Um, <laughs> she's from uh, the Odyssey, so I guess maybe uh, Greek scholars of ancient Greek legends might know the correct way to say Nausicaa. Um, mm. But there's there was a song released with the movie that like broke it down by syllable Nausicaa. So I'll just choose that. But anyway, the place Tolmachia. Uh, the antagonists come from there. You don't get to see a lot of Tolmachia. Um, it's, it's like the strongest country nearby. All the other places like the Valley of Wind or the states of the periphery, all the places that only exist close to the poisonous fungus forest. Hmm. So I imagine that Tolmachia is just like a large landmass with lots of sparse um, farmland and lots of desert and wasteland in between. But you get some character of them from the their military, their armored knights and engineers and mercenaries and their ships that are these big brigs and corvettes, flying ships, that is, that uh, uh, have a lot of patchwork repairs to them. Mm-hmm. Really cool. And so I think Tolmachia is a pretty cool name. It kind of evokes Greek as well. And if you go by phonetically Tolmachia, even cooler, in my opinion. That's my pick. Hmm. All right. For my number two, Disenchantment. I have my problems with Disenchantment, but some of the place names are pretty good. Um, It kind of follows in the footsteps of The Simpsons and Futurama in that a lot of the stores are jokes. Like there's a there's a convenience store called V.I.I.X.I., which is 7-Eleven in Roman numerals. Um, The place where they live is called Dreamland, but also... In the second season, there's another kingdom, which is a steampunk kingdom, and it's called Steamland. Mm. And that's not bad. But here's my favorite. Okay. There's an episode in season one where the characters are on this quest. And it does the thing where, like, it shows their travels transposed over a map with a line drawn on it, right? You know what I'm talking about? And they're, like, going through, like, the desert and wind and blizzards and rain and stuff. And then you see on the map that they are going through the Gorge of Many Weathers. Oh, yeah, pretty cool. Uh, As a bonus there, their goal is a snowy mountain called the Devil's Snow Cone. (laughs) Because... (laughs) Nice. Because they want to find the wizard Malthus, who has holed himself up inside the Cave of the Single Trap. Yeah. I would like to believe that the Devil's Snow Cone has a patch of, like, blue snow at the very top of it or red snow uh, or something. Yeah, I think on the map it's like an upside-down mountain with a big, um, like, puff of snow on top of it. Ah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, the Gorge of Many Weathers and the Cave of the Single Trap. You know what I don't Great understand? What? You know the You know the movie di- um, Enchanted? E- yes. I think... The sequel is Disenchanted, isn't it? I'm not 100% sure. I'll have to look that up. I don't look that up. But it occurred to, when I saw it, I was like, how can they do that? Well, anyway. Mm. Um, my number two is Drekmore. That's, oh. uh, <laughs> that's the Gummy Bears Kingdom that Duke Igthorn has the misfortune of owning. Yeah. Um, mostly you just see his castle. But on occasion, you get to see how terrible the rest of Drekmore is. It's kind of like the fire swamp from Princess Bride. There's Mm. like bubbling muck and those bubbles explode. Yeah. So I imagine the whole place is a terrible D&D adventure site. 
Um, <laughs> now I'll say uh, a, a second nice pick from Gummy Bears. Uh, Ursalia is an ancient city of the gummies oh, stewarded yeah. by Sir Thornberry. But right, uh, yeah. some good names in there, but Dreckmore is the top. You, It's almost Dickensian. You know how terrible that place is. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Uh, for my number one, so Adventure Time does a lot of things really well, but it doesn't put a lot of effort into its place names for the most part. It's like, yeah. I mean, they're descriptive. They fit. It's like the Candy Kingdom, the Slime Kingdom, the Fire Kingdom, the Ice Kingdom, right. Lumpy Space, Wizard hmm. City. But all of this is in a world called Ooh. Hmm. Just three O's. Yeah. It's so lazy and simple. Yeah. But that makes it so good. It's just, eh. This, it's the land of Ooh. Hmm. I, I love it. I, did you I hear love... it correctly the first time or did you assume you misheard it? I don't even remember. Hmm. I, I really don't. Like, I might have seen it written out and went, wait, they live in Ooh? Is that <laughs> yeah. canonical? Where did they say that? Hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's my number one. Just what a place. I mean, it's Earth. I think it's the yeah. continent or it's the world as they know it, because they haven't really explored outside of that continent. Hmm. Um, so as far as they know, it's the land of Ooh. Actually, that's what it, it was. The episode that introduced Marceline, where she said that she had been out traveling the land of Ooh. Oh, so okay. so maybe they think that the planet is called Ooh. They like civilization has collapsed to the point that they don't realize that the name of the place is Earth. Hmm. But anyway, Ooh. Okay. <laughs> My number one is the Negaverse. Um, ah. Okay. So in the Sailor Moon dub, they determined that the bad guys were from the <laughs> Negaverse. <laughs> <laughs> and they sort of linked it all together for all the bad guys. Sailor Moon has different villains per chapter. But when they introduced the uh, the Doom Tree, they had them talking about the Negaverse there too. So they've linked them all together. Um, now, of course, in the original, it's not the Negaverse. The first enemy is the Dark Kingdom, which is an awfully boring name. And then the Makaiju. So Doom Tree is not far off. And then uh, the Dark Moon family and... And uh, the dark, was it the, I can't remember, the, the circus. Anyway, they, they, um, the negaverse is just kind of fun to say, right? <laughs> and nega energy. I know it's kind of stupid and kind of tacky, but it's fun. And also the idea of linking all these together apparently is not that far off. Because as I understand it in the comic, the ultimate enemy is chaos. That is an entity that spawns all these superpowers, Almost mm. every bad guy in Sailor Moon has a power above them that has corrupted them. Yeah. So the Dark Kingdom is corrupted by this swirly stuff called Metallia, you know, or um, the Deathbusters um, are like corrupted by Pharaoh 99. Apparently all these these essences of evil are all created by chaos, a force so powerful that Sailor Moon, even when she becomes cosmic and time traveling, can't ultimately remove from from the universe. So hmm. I guess chaos is sort of the negaverse. Hmm. Anyway, I'm I'm NGL. Uh, when you said negaverse, my first thought and why I went, ah, was 
Oh, right. The alternate reality in Darkwing Duck that Negaduck no. comes from. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, and no, then, no, no. And you said Sailor Moon, and I'm like, oh, right, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, um, got some... I, yeah. Hmm? You got some... Some honorable mentions. Honorable mentions? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, just, I'll just a few real quick here. Um, yeah. I, I really like the neither world in Beetlejuice. Yeah, um, that's good. I like how it screwed me up to the point that I thought it was... I was mispronouncing the word nether until, right. like... 30 years later, it's like, oh, no, it's like not alive or dead. It's neither. It's the neither world. Right. Um, it's the neither shadow, you'd say, about the yeah, magic card. Yeah. 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 Um, I like Muni from Star vs. the Force of Evil. Oh, yeah. That's excellent. Uh, yeah. I like Ohm Town from Rock and Rule. Oh, yeah. Um, um, there's um, in the Gravity Falls is really good, too. And there's a couple of other like names that are similar to that uh, in the Oblongs. It takes place in a place called Hill Valley, mm-hmm. which it's it's relevant to the show, but it's also an oxymoron, which is fun. Uh, I like that the Powerpuff Girls is in the city of Townsville, but it's That's even good. it's even better because there's an episode where they move to the town of Citiesville. Yeah, it's kind of like um, a tick in the city. Kind of. Actually, a sheep in the big city takes place in the big city. So that's better than the city. Hmm. Uh, Bikini Bottom. Yes, that almost made my list. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good one. Uh, China, Illinois, from okay. the show China, Illinois. Sure. Um, a show, this almost made my list, but I took it off because I haven't actually watched the thing it's from. Oh. There's an anime apparently called Show by Rock, mm-hmm. which is about uh, pop stars, like some okay. cat girl who's a pop star or whatever. And it's like, it's set in a city that is like the center of the musical universe in this world. Yeah. And it's got a fantastic name. It's called Midi City. Ha. Neat. And just one more from yeah. the video game Super Paper Mario. Yeah. There's a there's a chapter in that game where Mario dies and yeah. goes to the afterlife. And like many afterlifes, it has a bad side and a good side. The bad side is called the underwear. Hey. And the good side is called the over there. Yeah. Those are tremendous. I love some it. Some of those video game localizers, you know, they do some pretty funny stuff. They can, yes. Um, and then you get Splatoon, where it's in Splatsville. <laughs> not so great. Um, no. I'll go uh, Graviton City from Project Echo, the city okay. built in the crater lake from the uh, ship that crashed there long ago. Now it's technology integrated to make them a futuristic city. Graviton City, pretty cool that it really fits i think mm-hmm. um let's see some of them don't really originate in cartoons so like though they might be in there i think coruscant is cool from star wars yeah it's got that <laughs> soft c yeah which i you know it's not pronounced in any of the first star wars movies i right, only you... saw it in the book so it's like coruscant yeah i thought so too yeah right right um i think dimsdale from Fairly Odd Parents is a pretty funny town too, where it's, it's not okay. too over the top. Oh yeah, you know there is a real Dimsdale, spelled uh, differently, but it's in Alberta. Go figure. <laughs> anyway, I think we better oh, get to these cartoons. Wait, wait, wait! Oh, the most, more? the the best fictional name of all. Oh yeah, New Jersey. Whoa! Who can imagine living in a place like that? Which. Uh, since I was just making fun of Eddie and for not knowing Ohio is real, I guess uh, puts me in my place. Let's move on. Yes. Um, who's um, first? Me, Chili Willy. 
Okay. First Chili Willy cartoon. And talk about creative names. Its title is I'm Cold. Yeah. It's directed by Tex Avery in 1954. Woo. I didn't know he did these. Um, I think he so, only did like two. More than I knew. Um, so you can see it when you know it. Uh, we start at Chili Willy's Igloo. This is his permanent residence, so evidenced by his name on the snow and icicle-covered mailbox. Oh, also, a good yeah. place name here. This is Colder Nell, Alaska. Yeah, okay. Now, um, penguins don't live in Alaska, but anyway. Uh, penguins can live anywhere. Um, anyway, inside, Chili discover, or shivers next to his roaring fireplace. As he tears pages from a catalog to feed to the fire... He notices that one is an ad for Watt Fur, and he envisions himself in the fur coat in the ad. Uh, buoyed by the fantasy, he runs to the Watt Fur warehouse, a short ways away from his igloo. I looked this up. Uh, just from an occupant's body temperature, igloos range from negative 7 to 16 degrees Celsius. Yeah, I understand they're actually quite cozy. Not at negative 7, but well, no. certainly... Way better than negative 40 outside. Um, So Chili slips into the basement by the egress window, they're called, those low windows on houses, which I don't know if they make for climates that dump a lot of snow. But anyway, Hmm. um, the place is guarded by a big watchdog with giant shark teeth. Chili saws his way through the floor and steals himself a stole, apparently enough, uh, appropriately enough, rather. Uh, He runs into the sleepy dog and can't help but honk his nose. (laughs) Naturally, the dog, Smedley is his name, chases Chili back to his igloo and retrieves the fur. uh, But really deadpan, though. Oh, yes. This is this Huckleberry. He sounds like Huckleberry Hound for good reason. Um, And he plainly describes all that he observes and does. You know, like, (laughs) I think that penguin just stole some fur. Um, Yeah, yeah. And he further, he's got a weird gesture that he undertakes before moving. Like, he sets up, leaning in the direction, and pumps his arms like, I'm gonna go. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Uh, so when Chili tries to steal another stole, and then a bare rug, he's also foiled by Smedley. Even winding the Gwyn's toque like a key to a clockwork toy results in Chili kind of ambling around like the toy, but still in the direction to steal more furs anyway. Lots of them. <laughs> uh, uh, Smedley retrieves them and he locks them all in the vault. This means the only fur left to steal is Smedley's. So Willie uh, wraps his tail, Smedley's that is, around his neck like a scarf and drags him off. Although naturally the dog is mighty and so he pulls his uh, back, his stretched out tail. Willie will have to chop it off if he wants it. I know I kind of always thought that Chili Willie's harmlessness was part of his charm, <laughs> but uh, here he's a darned maniac. <laughs> yeah, really. I actually kind of like was uncomfortable with him, like wielding scissors and an axe at Smedley's tail. <laughs> right. But Smedley's like overconfident. I guess. Anyway, he, he's got savoir faire, so he yeah. keeps stopping the hack happy penguin. In one instance, his tail is bottled up in another The dog blows into his thumb to make his tail straighten and curl like a party blower. Uh, So timed that Chili keeps literally missing the cut. And then he winds him up because his tail is stronger than the penguin as well. Um, Anyway, uh, Chili changes tacks to use a less violent electric shaver. 
and Smedley tries to prank the Pen Pen further by dangling a rope in place of his tail, but he unknowingly also drops his tail down another hole in the floor, and it gets shaved. But he knows where Chili's igloo is, so he goes back to get his fur. Uh, it's fashioned now into a fur coat, so Smedley just has his tail wear the coat. Uh, as he walks off, though, we see that Chili Willie is hanging in that coat, dangling from his tail. And that's the end. I don't really know if it suggests a never-ending struggle between the two, <laughs> but subsequent cartoons seem to make that the case. Yeah. <laughs> I really like... So, um, I gave this one to you blind. I just yeah. picked a Chili Willie cartoon at more or less random. <laughs> Pick the worst at, name. Yeah. Well, then I... Well, I watched it later, and yeah. it's hysterical. Like, I love yeah. this cartoon. It's yeah. so funny. I love the fact that it's not one character just being a jerk to the other and constantly getting the upper hand. They, they're they both on equal ground. Like, Chili yeah. is obviously the wrongdoer, but they, like, they're at a stalemate of wits. Yeah. Like, each. they get each other just as well as they get one another. Chili's kind of the irresistible force. Yeah. Yes. And, however, Smedley doesn't really want to harm him because, like I said, I think the whole deal is that Chili's inoffensive. Yeah. So nobody really wants to like massacre or eat this penguin. Yeah. Um, I, as a kid, I always really liked Chili Willy, or just kind of liked at least. And I guess it's because he's cute, or maybe there's an innate thing in children to like penguins. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Um, I mean, seeing him now. This cartoon aside, like I, as an adult, I kind of modified my opinion of his brand to be, this is the boring cartoon character. Hmm. I mean, he's the second most popular uh, starring character from Walter Lance Studios. Yeah. And being second to Woody Woodpecker is a really dubious honor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this was fun, though. And you can see, like I said, when you look for it, you can see the uh, Tex Avery hallmarks in here. Oh, yeah, like there's a, a, a part where the, the hole, like Smedley covers it up with his hand. And yeah. so then Chili just opens his other hand and the hole is under that one. And Smedley's like, yeah. what? And he looks under and the hole's gone. And he looks under his other hand and the hole is back there again. And it's like, it makes no sense, but that's Tex Avery. The mere presence of a dog antagonist, I'm dubbing now dog-tagonist, <laughs> is very Tex Avery as well. Yeah. Um, and, but you might not know it if you're not looking for it because... Uh, this is his style really adapted to some limited animation. Yeah. But that uh, was pretty But fun, it's I got guess. some charm to it. I also sure. like that it's largely silent. Like, oh, you don't, yes. like you said roaring fireplace, but it's not. It's quiet. <laughs> like, you yeah. don't hear the fire at all. You don't right. hear the log. You don't even hear him tearing the pages out of the book. You hear nothing until he gets to the fur warehouse. Uh, I guess it's just like the real frozen wastes. Yeah. But I like it. I, I, like I said, I had a really good time watching this, like better than I thought I would. I, I mean, I like Tex Avery, but at the same time, yes. it was like, wow, this is like Tex Avery could do no wrong. Huh. I wonder, I wonder <laughs> if you will feel the same about a certain Spider-Man cartoon. Um, well, Tex Avery didn't direct this. No, who uh, did direct it? Oh, I don't know. I've some got guy. Clyde Geronimi, Sid Marcus, Grant Simmons, or Ray P uh, Patterson. Take your choice. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, 
we haven't really discussed Spider-Man on the show, um, but everybody knows who he is. Uh, he's a Marvel superhero, mild-mannered photographer Peter Parker, who was uh, bitten by a spider of some description and uh, gained the powers of a spider, like the ability to climb walls and the ability to make artificial webs. Um, now, the later movies have him actually shooting webs out of glands on his wrists, but uh, in the old days, he had to, like, make it with chemistry. Mm. Um, so he could, uh, always run out of webs at inopportune times, mm -hmm. you know, uh, superheroes got to have weaknesses. Sure. But anyway, actually um, you're seeing he's mild mannered at this era. This is based on a story from the comics at this era. He's kind of a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> um, he has a lot of, uh, villains, not nearly the rogues gallery of a Batman, mm -hmm. uh, but his chief antagonist is also his boss, the uh, the editor-in-chief of the Daily Bugle, J. Jonah Jameson, who, for reasons, I guess, of publicity or just bias, seems yes. to be the only human on Earth who thinks that that webhead is a menace. <laughs> he is, despite how often Spider-Man thwarts crimes and delivers criminals to the authorities and claims that he is a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, the uh, owner of the media says that, no, as I said, this webhead is a menace. Why and do he people is, buy uh, the bugle? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, um, maybe it's got a good cooking section. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, maybe they just want Peter Parker's great photos. Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, J. Jonah Jameson, though he, his uh, main weapon is the pen, or the pen of his subordinates, I guess. Actually, he writes his own editorials um, about what a menace that webhead is. But um, in this one, this is called Captured by J. Jonah Jameson. Now, how is this going to work? Because uh, Jameson doesn't really do much. Well, let's find out. So Spider-Man is doing his usual patrol, slinging webs, but it's foggy. And so he decides the safer thing would be to walk. But as he gets to the ground, his... His future sense, his spider sense, or spidey sense, starts not tingling, but vibrating. Telling him that something is following him. And he turns to see a robot with a man's face on the screen for a face and tentacles reaching for him. I figured this was going to be Dr. Octopus, but no. Uh, Spider-Man takes to the walls, because he can stick to walls, and gets some pictures, because he has a camera. Well, the man on the screen expresses that, hmm, with a few adjustments, he can catch Spider-Man and make a deal with J. Jonah Jameson. What must he have been thinking watching Spider-Man take pictures of him? <laughs> I know. <laughs> that bastard, I'll get him. It's, it's, it's kind of modern. It's like, oh, look at this terrible looking robot. I got to take a selfie with it. Oh, um, yeah. And on that, this robot is like part teddy bear and tortoise. Oh, it's ridiculous. With, with the stride of the ladder, like it lopes along the sidewalk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back at the Daily Bugle, Jameson is unimpressed with Peter Parker's picture of a robot. Apparently, robots are everywhere. Um, and a picture of one is just not news. <laughs> but then the self-same robot walks in along with its controller, uh, the inventor Henry Smythe. Smythe claims that the robot can capture Spider-Man, but Jameson is leery. He's been fooled before. Although, 
Smythe uh, wins Jameson over by suggesting that he could have his own face on the robot screen and he can be the one to capture Spider-Man by proxy. That seals the deal. And as Smythe teaches Jameson how to use the robot to root out Spider-Man, Peter decides, uh, I need to go, hmm. which is smart. Uh, and no sooner has he left than the robot gets Spider-Man's metaphorical scent, his spider scent, if you will. Hmm. His impulses. Yeah, it picks up Spider-Man's impulses, which, uh, hmm. Anyway, uh, <laughs> outside, Peter realizes that the robot is coming after him, and so he decides to face it like a man, a Spider-Man. But then he discovers that the robot is resistant to his webs, and it can climb and jump just as well as he can. This robot can do whatever a spider can. <laughs> After a chase, Spider-Man tries to ditch the robot by diving into the water and swimming away from New York, presumably to New Jersey, where the robot wouldn't dare follow. <laughs> but as he tries to rest, the robot is there and it catches him. Commercial! Back at Jameson's office, Speaking of commercials, Jameson apparently uses one ring to watch the robot hold on to the struggling Spider-Man. Hmm. And as Jameson fantasizes about the fame he's about to garner for capturing a superhero, only he thinks is evil, Mary Jane, I mean Betty Grant, pulls the plug on the controls accidentally. Yeah, there's a control unit and it plugs into the wall. And also, uh, there's a redheaded secretary here who is not Mary Jane. Her name is Betty Grant. Uh, by the time Smythe is able to plug in the controls again, Spider-Man has escaped. But it isn't long before the robot is on his trail again. More near misses ensue. Back at the office, Betty Grant calls the police for help. The police don't believe in robots, but they jump into action when they hear that Spider-Man is involved. I think it's Spider Betty Brandt. What? Brandt. Betty Brandt. Did I, did I say Betty Brandt? No, I said Grant. Oh, is it not? No, it's Brandt. Oh, wow. Yeah, J Jameson didn't hire anybody whose name didn't alliterate until he got Ned Leeds. Oh. Anyway. I didn't realize. Hmm. Okay. I will not make that mistake in the future. Okay, so where were we? The police. Yes. Uh, so Spider-Man is running for the robot, but he's getting really tired now. I mean, being chased all over New York and New Jersey will do that to you. Uh. <laughs> He's so tired that he accidentally web swings into a clock tower, which knocks him goofy enough for the robot to snag him. Now Jameson and Smythe head out to apprehend that web-headed menace. But Spider-Man thinks fast and uses all his brains to rip some random wires out of the robot. Hmm. Smythe and Jameson have a portable device that tracks the robot, though they lose the signal during the elevator ride. Technology never changes. <laughs> but it yeah. turns out the delay was enough. When they find the robot clutching Spider-Man and Jameson goes to unmask the web slinger, they find that the costume is full of straw or webs, probably webs. Anyway, Jameson flips out and dismisses Smythe and the police show up to suggest that Jameson maybe take a long rest. He takes the rest of the week off, according to Miss Brandt, <laughs> yeah. because he was stung by a spider. Spiders don't sting, they bite. But yes! Um, right, right. hmm. So, <laughs> you know, next time th this, 
it threw me when you said his name is Henry Smythe. I guess it is in the cartoon. In the, in the comics, Alistair Smythe. Or oh, maybe yeah. he's his son. <laughs> I don't know. My Spider-Man lore is a little jumbled. But Alistair Smythe is usually the guy who's famous for making the Spider Slayer robot series. Uh, uh, after this one, he should really learn to weld the access pa- uh, panels before sending it off to fight Spider-Man. Well, Spider-Man did mention his sticky fingers, so maybe... You know, right. he has the strength of a spider and suction cup hands, so maybe it yeah, is he... welded shut, but he just ripped it off. Eh, maybe. Maybe. Um, so let's see. This is animated to some degree. Uh... <laughs> you know, just like He-Man and Masters of the Universe, Yeah. I was harder on this as a kid than I am now. Hmm. I think the animation is fine for this. I think the, the models generally look fine. As you say, really limited. Yeah, and it reuses cycles. Like, I yes. kind of recognize the, you know, the animation of him putting on his Spider-Man mask. Um, well, those cycles look good, just like Masters yeah, of the Universe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. just that they they did one thing right and then uh, copy-pasted. Right. Um, But, you know, for the time, this is what cartoons were, and you want a cartoon about Spider-Man, eh, it'll do. The, the <laughs> robot looks ridiculous. Oh, Rob- yeah. Robot, I should say. You know um, what? Like, you know that those stuffed animals that are like two plushies with long ropey arms and you're supposed <laughs> to twist them to hug each other? Uh, Usually yeah. they're teddy bears. Yeah, yeah. They should make one that's Spider-Man and this Spider Slayer. <laughs> Just roping each other. It's kind of like if Dr. Octopus had a baby with TikTok from Oz. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh... We, uh, let's see. We're probably running long. So um, what are we well, going to say uh, about this? It's all uh, right. What? Yeah. What? Uh, what? The the actor who plays Peter Parker slash Spider-Man, Paul Souls, uh, recently deceased. Oh. Uh, mostly he was a live action actor. He was in some other like Marvel kind of cartoons, less animated than this one. Oh, um, gosh, that incredible Hulk cartoon or things yeah, where yeah, like exactly. nothing on the screen will move except for like Iron Man's hand constantly flexing and unflexing. Yeah. Well, that's that's because those were traced from the comic book. Like <laughs> you think this is lazy. Oh, my God, those ones. But um, so mostly it was live action. He had the <laughs> he was in a Canadian law procedural drama called ENG, <laughs> where his role was unfortunately named Harvey Weinstein. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh oh. So I thought I'd kick him while he was down. Um, yeah, sure. Let's see. Peg Dixon uh, plays Betty Brandt. And mm. she also plays Mrs. Claus and Mrs. Donner in Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Oh, wow. That's cool. Which, yeah, you'll hear if you uh, watch Spider Man and then that. Yeah. I don't know. These. This is a cartoon from my youth. Yeah. It was old, it was old when we were young, but I watched it anyway. Yep, it, it has its shortcomings, but, you know, it's Spider-Man. And also, one of the classic cartoon theme songs of all time. Oh, it's great. Spider-Man, and, and the, Spider-Man. The jazz theme for that plays during the show is pretty good, too. It's yeah, just yeah. like Batman, also same era. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's got some stuff to like about it, for sure. Um, I mean, you have to, you have to give some um, leeway for the age of it. It's just the way cartoons right. were at the time. But, sure. you know... You really want as much Spider-Man as you can get um, in this amazing. It's in color. You know, it says right at the beginning that it's in yes. color. Wow. So that's a plus. Um, I guess we can bridge to something that was good in its time and good now still. And um, in color. 
in color. In 1950, uh, Bugs Bunny, the cartoon is Eight Ball Bunny, directed by Chuck Jones in 1950. My hero, Chuck Jones. Yay. Uh, so when we begin, it's at the Brooklyn Ice Palace. It's the Ice Frolic Show, or it was anyway. It is just closed and all its trucks drive away, but they forget one of the stars, Playboy Penguin. He's so named, one imagines, because of his natural tuxedo, his bow tie and top hat, and his tendency to sleep around. <laughs> anyway, while chasing after the trucks, he falls down the hole to Bugs Bunny's home. The rabbit gives the bird the business, causing him to cry. Even though this penguin, like Chilly Willy for the most part, is mute, they communicate well enough that he needs to get home, so Bugs agrees to help. Bugs consults a book and is anguished to find that penguins come from South Pole. You know, ooh, he's dying! <laughs> we both are doing it. Okay. So they, <laughs> they ride the rails. And a bitter Bugs Bunny makes Playboy cry again. A train car hobo, the worst of all villains, <laughs> decides to eat the little penguin until Bugs convinces him that he would provide more meat. Sort of a, why don't you eat someone your own size? <laughs> uh, he expertly ducks every charge from the tramp and trips him out of the moving train. <laughs> so he sets the penguin on a cruise ship out of New Orleans. And while the rabbit is relaxing at a cafe, some talkative seamen note that the ship is actually headed back to Brooklyn. Uh, in a panic, he swims after the steamer and boards it, only to find Playboy in the galley, hung from his feet along with a bunch of plucked chickens. Which seems really morbid to me that thinks that some of them may have been hens from Foghorn Leghorn's farm. Or Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> yeah, well, they weren't interested in him anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they look like the cart. Anyway, so the uh, the two uh, these two animals they find rest on an unpopulated island, while Bugs chills and plays guitar, and the penguin hollows out a boat. They're approached by a running gag. It's Humphrey Bogart, and he asks if he could help out a fellow American who's down on his luck. Uh, Bugs begrudgingly tosses him a coin. Uh, the two animals set off on the boat, and ten days out. A starving Bugs fantasizes about eating his boatmate. He recovers his senses, and then land is sighted anyway. It's the Panama Canal, and after refusing to pay 25 cents, they decide to make a go of it on foot. I guess he'd already given his two bits to Bogey. <laughs> um, anyway, the two get captured by some unfortunate chanting Amazon cannibals. Yeah. <laughs> They circle and chant around the cauldron that Bugs and Playboy are being cooked in. Lucky for them, they run in fear of Humphrey Bogart. It's more reasonable this time when Bugs tosses a coin to the fellow American who's down on his luck. <laughs> if you don't think this is racist, <laughs> those natives, the, I, I can't remember the words they chant when Humphrey Bogart comes, but they're chanting Swahili words. So it's, <laughs> I think it's uh, El Buana. Yeah, Buana, which means master, Ebuana. right? Ebuana. It's the master. Yeah. So it's just like, that's uh, interchangeable. It's jungle people that eat people. Anyway. Or, or rabbits and penguins, but who doesn't? Right. I guess so. I guess so. The line is blurry in Looney Tunes. Yeah. Um, so a montage half dissolved on a map with a little line like we like you mentioned earlier. <laughs> um, 
It's of South America. We see Bugs Bunny speed run the video game Pitfall as he swings from vines and flees alligators. Uh, they take a boat again and end up on Antarctica, uh, actually at the literal South Pole, marked on a red and white striped barber pole. Hmm. With his deed done, Bugs bitterly parts ways until he sees the penguin crying again. Here, each of his tears cutely turns into an ice cube. Yeah. Um, the Playboy shows Bugs a flyer for the ice frolics. And it describes him as the only Hoboken-born penguin. New Jersey, dang it! <laughs> um, so, not so far from Brooklyn, where they started. When Humphrey Bogart appears again to beg for some money, Bugs turns the tables and asks for help, hang, hang, uh, handing off the penguin to him and running away while hooting with madness. <laughs> so I gotta say, with all the quotables in this one, you know, they pardon me, but could you help a fellow American? And the, uh, ooh, I'm dying. The, uh, yeah. you know, hit the road. Yeah. This surely made a lot of kids like me insufferable. <laughs> I'll Quoting tell you. this thing. Yeah. I did not actually watch this cartoon after I gave it to you. Oh, no. Um, I just remember it so well that as you were <laughs> reciting it, every time you said like, you know, so, 10 days in the boat, and I'm just thinking, 10 days without food, and oh, I'm wow. starved. Like, <laughs> I can remember it perfectly. 25 cents to go through this thing? Yeah, we'll walk foist. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think I know this cartoon by heart. Well, you know what? I think you need to make a video recreating. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just get you a Bugs doll and... Uh... Humphrey Bogart doll, do they exist? A picture, maybe, on a stick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is uh this is actually Playboy Penguin's second cartoon overall, and with Bugs Bunny. The first one is Frigid Hair in 1949. <laughs> I had a little notion here. Just suppose these two got married. The penguin could take on the surname and become Playboy Bunny. Ha <laughs> ha! Wow. Wow, that's pretty <laughs> wow, good. Wow, isn't why did you bother? Anyways, no, that's that's pretty good. That's that, I oh, okay. I didn't catch that. <laughs> well, uh, as well as you know the cartoon, I guess he didn't key on the romantic undertones. Um, <laughs> he didn't want to eat that penguin. You know what I mean? Ten days, ten days in that boat. Uh, so, I guess one left one thing left to say about this cartoon for me anyway is that there's one interesting quirk of it: the opening and ending credits for this Looney Tunes cartoon have the green rings, green background color, found only in 1950. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, a real classic. A real <laughs> classic. It, and I don't, I don't mean that sarcastically. I mean, like, this is like, this is a classic Bugs Bunny cartoon. Sure. And the second time on this show, you've given me the, uh, the one-two punch Tex Avery and Chuck Jones. I guess so, yeah. Um, yeah. Also, those uh, th that actually makes me think those chickens wouldn't have been... Well, <laughs> the only way that those chickens would have been from Foghorn Leghorn's uh, roost would be if it was Chuck Jones jabbing at Robert McKibson. If you were... <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> yeah. McKibson's like, ooh, Chuck. That's right. He crossed Termite Terrace to show the cell to him. <laughs> hey, look. I plucked some chickens. All right. Well, I guess uh, from alternative Looney Tunes rings, <laughs> I'm great at segues. That was good. Oh, yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. Um, so a while ago, we watched a cartoon for Halloween called From Left to Right by Russian animator Ivan Maximoff. Mm-hmm. And you gave me another Ivan Maximoff, a more recent one. Uh, left yeah. From Left to Right was 1989. This is 2017, and it's called Alternative Walk. Now, much like the first one, it doesn't really have much of a story to it. Uh, hmm. The fun of it is more just watching it. But it's because it, it's basically a bunch of weird critters just kind of hanging around. And I guess the theme that that they all have in common is that they walk in different ways. Um, well, I mean, sort it's, of. it's like it's sort of I guess the through line on this is that there's two mothers t- or two ladies and anyway, talking to each other. Yeah. And one's baby escapes the crib and takes off down the path. And the other one is a centauress and her back half detaches and takes off the other way. Yeah. Yeah. But I did notice the through line of like, you know, there's people do like there's this this girl who can't quite jump rope. Um, yeah. There's a guy on a swing who isn't swinging. He's like bouncing up and down with minimal yeah. effect. But um, so, yeah, I won't really go into detail on it. I'll, I'll suggest that everybody watch it because it is really neat. I actually liked oh, this definitely. more. I liked this a lot more than from left to right, actually. Um, I guess there's more different stuff happening. In this. Yeah, it's 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 just a cool visual. Also, I what really struck me about this was the characters remind me they're all different kinds, like they're all shapes yeah. and sizes, but they reminded me so much of the weird lemon mutants in Lemon Grab's <laughs> Lemon Earldom. That yeah, I yeah. that I actually looked to see if uh, Ivan Maximoff worked on Adventure Time. Yeah. And he didn't. But no. boy, does it look like it. Like the some of the facial expressions on these things. Like they look like those sad, pathetic lemons. This, um, this is his niche. Weirdos. Yeah. Weird, monstery things. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> there's some odd stuff going on here. Oh, yeah. There's one. There's like a bench with uh, three weirdos because everything is. But they're kind of like making stick patterns on the ground and pondering it very carefully, like putting a stick down, picking it back up. Yeah. It's like, there's a hidden elegance to it, like bonsai cutting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the standout for me is the guy who turns into a chair. <laughs> oh, that was great. That came out of nowhere. <laughs> yes. Yes. Also like the guy, the guy with the butt that is secretly a pair of menacing jaws. <laughs> so putting aside his mouth, butt, <laughs> what is his deal? He's digging a pit with a spade, and beside him are a cross made from two unstripped sticks and a little doll of himself. I'm guessing he wants to bury them? I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. Um, it's like a hidden story. I guess. So, yeah, um, yeah, won't go into too much detail on this one, except just to say that everybody should watch it. It's really good. It's really fun. Yep. Um, yep. Alternative Walk by Ivan Maximoff. It's right there on YouTube if you search for it. And yeah. with that, uh, we should probably just end. All Bye. Right. Oh, wait, wait no. a minute. We're what? forgetting a thing here. Oh, okay. we got to set up next week. OK. Um, all right. So <laughs> next week, the idea is we're going to watch some cartoons based around celebrities. <laughs> Matsy, I have I generally pick cartoons that I at least like, or I at least, you know, I at least enjoy them, whether okay. they're good or not. Uh, this time I've picked a miserable cartoon. Okay. I picked one. I picked one that you hate so much Uh-oh. that you owned the collection and gave it away. 
So we're going to watch The Adventures of Super Mario Brothers 3. And the episode includes the uh, half episodes Do the Koopa and Cootie Pie Rocks. Oh, no. <laughs> um, celebrities are in this? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Oof. Because uh, you, you were describing it, like, uh, that I bought and gave away, and I'm like, well, the only one I can think of is Super Mario Brothers 3, but that's not celebrity. Um, all right. Yep. Interesting. Um, I went more literal with mine, because for yep. some reason, they made a lot of cartoons about celebrities. Oh, um, yeah, especially in the early 80s. Yeah, or Moral the early... Hardy, like, why? <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a Beatles cartoon. Um, yeah. Even some that, like, is not necessarily a celebrity, but a celebrity... Um, persona the uh I, I can't remember the name of the show but it's based around martin short's ed grimley character oh i've wanted to put this on that show for so long yeah or but that I, in this show i, I yeah, didn't yeah. pick that i went okay. for something a little bit more 90s hammer man hammer hammer <laughs> man yeah wow we'll have to redress this question about which is more animated <laughs> mc hammer <laughs> or spider-man <laughs> well hey hammer man was made by deke that can't be bad. Hey, double deke next week. Ooh. All right. Yeah. Uh, probably be some uh, voice acting crossover, too, I would wager. Dan Hennessy, Len Carlson, John Stalker. We'll see. Um. We'll see. Anyway. Oh, the episode. Right. Um. I <laughs> Yes. I picked one of the only episodes that I could find online, and it turns out that by coincidence, it's the first one, apparently. Um. Right. It's called Defeated Graffiti. Huh. Okay. Hammerman. All right. So next week, Mario Brothers and MC Hammer, the crossover you didn't know you needed. <laughs> uh, in the meanwhile, tell us what we should watch. Give us some stuff to talk about. Uh, tell us your favorite cartoon place name. Yeah. You can reach me on Twitter at Watch. Yeah. Uh, retweet everything on my Twitter. Um I'm going to be shelling out eight bucks to be a celebrity. Uh, hmm. I am at AC Matsy for now until Twitter implodes and let everybody know about the podcast and let everybody know about this here phrase, which is the celery stalker slogan. Pardon me, but could you help out a fellow American who's down on his luck? Uh -huh.